Today, we're all going to go to farmer school. Bet you didn't expect to hear that this morning. Today, we're all going to go to school to become better farmers. I grew up on a farm. Did you know that? We had 70 acres, and we rented those 70 acres to a full-time farmer. So we didn't actually farm it ourselves, though we did get the fields ready by picking out the rocks each spring. I was pretty clueless about how farming worked when I was a kid, not paying attention. So I won't be teaching you anything from my personal store of knowledge. We've got some farmers here among us, and you could teach, do a much better job of teaching farming than I could. I'm going to be sharing with you what Jesus said about farming in John chapter 4. And the kind of farming that Jesus was talking about was reaching people with the good news about himself, our evangelistic mission. Jesus used farming as an inroads illustration for his disciples to understand what he was trying to teach them about evangelism. I love that this story landed on this Sunday. It's a perfect story to consider for a Sunday right at the end of harvest season, right before, as Randy pointed out, winter starts knocking at our doors. The W word is coming, right? Next Sunday in November is November, and we'll start singing about the harvest coming in. Well, Jesus has a lot to say about the harvest. In fact, our title for today comes right out of verse 35, where Jesus uses the phrase, ripe for the harvest. Ripe for the harvest. Do I have a slide, Kevin? There's no slides? Okay. No slides today. That's all right. The title is Ripe for the Harvest. And he's not talking about soybeans or corn. He's talking about people. So this is also a perfect story to consider for a Sunday when we have a quarterly meal and meeting where we gather together to remind each other about the main thing around here. We have a saying at Lance Free Church that we got from others but have made our own. The main thing, what? Is to keep the main thing the main thing, right? And the main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just as a farmer will always be focused on the harvest to come, we who are followers of Jesus Christ should keep our eyes on the harvest that he has promised for his kingdom. But I'm getting ahead of the story. Let's back up to verse 27 and start there. This is right where we left off last week. We stopped in the middle of the story of Jesus' noontime conversation with the Samaritan woman next to Jacob's well in Sychar. If you remember, Jesus has been full of surprises. He's plopped down to rest in the heat of the day next to Jacob's well, while his disciples have gone into town to buy some food. Jesus is fully human and pretty tired and very thirsty. And when a Samaritan woman came up to the well to draw some water, Jesus surprisingly struck up a conversation with her. Do you remember this from last week? Jews and Samaritans don't mix. They're like oil and water. Most Jews would never have been even shown up there. They took the bypass around this area, much less made friends with the locals, especially across gender lines. A Jewish man is talking to a Samaritan woman? And you remember how the conversation went? Jesus asked her for water and then used that request for water to offer her living water, the eternal refreshment that comes from believing in him. What a phrase, living water. And we saw how her understanding of Jesus changed over the course of the conversation. Jesus went from being, in her eyes, just a thirsty Jewish guy to a bold and gentle Jewish guy who was willing to talk to her and even to touch something she had touched. 
and then to a miraculous prophet because Jesus somehow knew all about her life. He knew all about her choices, about her spiritual thirst, and he knew all about what had been done to her as well. He knew her shame, that she had five broken marriages and she was currently living in sin with another man. And Jesus kept on talking to her, talking to her, pursuing her, loving her, even though he knew all about her. And even when she tried to change the subject and talk about worship instead, he still stayed focused on reaching her heart. And then when she brought up the Messiah, Jesus actually revealed to her that he was the Messiah. Jesus hasn't been as straightforward with anyone so far in the whole Gospel of John, but he said to this woman, verse 26, I who speak to you am he. That's where we had to stop last week, right? That's where the Beverly Hillbillies Hillbillies would have said, y'all come back now next time, right? Y'all come back now, you hear? Well, we all came back. Now let's hear. In verse 27, it picks up from that moment. Here we get the rest of the story. Verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Jesus' disciples came back from Weiss or Wegmans with some plastic bags in their hands, or however it worked in those days. And they are shocked, shocked to find their rabbi, their teacher, talking with a woman. And a Samaritan woman at that. They are so shocked that they can't even get the questions they're thinking out of their mouths. What do you want? Why are you talking to... What's going on here? Now, we know the answers to those questions, right? We know what she wanted. She wanted water. So did he. That's why they met at the well. And even deeper, she wanted what that water pointed to. Fully forgiven, shame-free, eternal life. And we know what Jesus wanted too. He wanted her heart. Jesus wanted her spiritual thirst to be quenched through faith in him. That's why they were talking to each other. Jesus is not sexist or racist. Jesus is not misogynist or xenophobic. Jesus is on the hunt for her heart. Or to speak in farmer terms, Jesus wants her to be harvested in a good way. He wants her to be a part of the crop of the kingdom. The crop he calls for eternal life. And I think that here, Jesus gets what he wants. Look at what she does. Look at verse 28. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now I think, I think that her life is changed from this moment on. You know why I say that? Because she left her water jar. Yeah. The very thing that had brought her out there in the first place, it's forgotten. She's got something else that's bigger right now. And she goes after her neighbors for Jesus. I love how this woman does evangelism, don't you? Friends, you can do this. People say, well, I can't do evangelism. You can do this. She goes to her neighbors some of whom probably hate her, many of whom probably scorn her. Some may have been her friends. Doesn't matter. She goes back to all of them and talks to them about Jesus. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Notice that she doesn't have all the answers. 
She's not the Bible answer woman, okay? She's, she's, she's not, she is a theologian, but she's not, she doesn't have a Bible degree, right? Everybody's a theologian, okay? It's just whether we're a good one or a bad one. She's a good one, but she doesn't have all the answers to all the questions. She, she just has met Jesus, and she wants others to meet him too. So you and I can do this as well. We don't have to have a perfect presentation for all, all prepared or to have answers to every question that someone may ask. We just have to be bold enough to invite our neighbors to come and see. Just like Jesus invited those first disciples to check him out back in chapter 1. Do you remember that? Come and see, then go and tell. This woman invites her neighbors to give Jesus some consideration. Have you ever considered the claims of Jesus? You could say that to someone, couldn't you? Can you say those words? Have you ever considered the claims of Jesus? Can you say those words? Then you can say it to somebody, right? Have you ever thought about who Jesus is? Could you say that? Can you say those words? Say them to the person next to you. It's safe here, right? Have you ever considered, have you ever thought about who Jesus is? Now say it in an unsafe situation this week, or not as safe situation this week. I, I'm a believer in Jesus. What do you think of him? You don't have to have all the answers for what comes next. Or you could invite someone to read the Gospel of John with you, right? Denise, right now you've got a, a, a family member that you're reading the Gospel of John over the phone long distance with, right? You could do that, right? Invite somebody say, would you read the Gospel of John with me? Let's see what it says. This woman says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did, which is an exaggeration, right? They didn't have time for all that. But he certainly knew some of the darkest parts of her life, the hardest, and yet he still cared about her. In fact, because of that, he cared of her, about her. He says he is the Messiah. Could this be true? See, that's a question. You can ask questions, can't you? Could it be true that Jesus is the Messiah? You could just say that to somebody. Have you ever thought that Jesus might be the Son of God? And God the Son? Have you looked into whether Jesus came back from the dead? Do you know what Jesus was doing on the cross? Those are very simple questions opening up a conversation. He's a Jew, though. That might be against him. See what she's saying? Could this be the Christ? I mean, he's Jewish. I wish the Messiah was a Samaritan. But I think, I think he just might be the Messiah. Come and see. And here's the amazing thing. They do, right? They do. Verse 30, John says that they made their way toward him. Now keep that in mind as we read the next part, okay? See those villagers walking back towards Jesus and his disciples as they have this conversation and Jesus begins to take his disciples to farmer school. Okay, look at verse 31. Meanwhile, while they're walking towards him, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. Remember, Jesus is tired. He's been really thirsty. I don't think he got the drink, right? She drops her water, her, her water jar, heads into town. He hasn't had anything to drink. It's the middle of the day. He's probably ravenous too. They've been traveling for many miles. It's lunchtime. They want Jesus to eat something, but, but he's looking over at the town. He's looking back where the woman went, and I think he's got this great big smile on his face. 
And then he looks at his disciples and he says, oh yeah, this is a great time to take these guys through some farmer school. Look at verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Here's that misunderstanding thing again, right? Jesus enigmatically says that he's not really hungry now because he has unknown food. And they assume he's talking about physical food, just like Nicodemus thought he was talking about physical birth and the woman at the well thought he he meant fresh well water. But of course he doesn't. This kind of food is something much deeper, much more important, and more satisfying. Look at verse 34. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Here's farmer school lesson number one of three. If you're taking notes, point number one, eat the best food. Eat the best food. Farming is hard work, and farmers need to keep their strength up, so they need to eat some of the best, most nourishing meals that there are out there. Peter, my son Peter, used to work on a farm for several years, and he told me about the amazing meals they ate, right? Hard work, but a great big table full of food, okay, when it was time. That's why we have farmers' tables, right? It's not just because they give us the food to put on the table, because, but they know how to eat because they have hard work to do. Jesus says, What Jesus says is the best food for him is different from what anyone might expect. He says that his food is the food of obedience. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's what I find the most satisfying. Jesus is not saying that he's never going to eat again, okay? Or even that he's not going to eat very soon. I'm sure that pretty soon he got a drink and pretty soon he ate. Right? He was fully human. He needed that. He, he, this is a guy who just asked a woman for a drink of water. He has physical needs that will need to be met. But Jesus is saying that all of those things take a back seat to doing what God has sent him to do. Eating the best food means prioritizing the mission. Put the kingdom first. Do the will of God. Finish the work that he has for you. That's the best food. Where are your priorities? Where are mine? Because we're tempted to chase every other thing in life like it's ultimate, right? Like, ooh, that's the stuff. I mean, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What do you put first? Like, I can only do three things. Which one are you sure you're going to do? Just like... We run after, just like how we run after all kinds of other things to quench our spiritual thirst, like we said last week, we're tempted to put anything and everything ahead of sharing Jesus with those around us. So often we act like something else is the main thing. But obedience to the Great Commission is the main thing. And the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And it's not just the main thing, it's the most satisfying That's what Jesus says. It's not just, well, I'm going to do this thing because it's more important than eating. He says it's eating. Jesus doesn't just grit his teeth here and fast from eating food. He says this is his food. He finds obedience to be satisfying. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And he did finish it, didn't he? Jesus was obedient even to death. Death on the cross where he said, It is finished. 
And even in that, Jesus was finding satisfaction. Obedience was his food. Have you found that to be true in your life as well? That obedience is your food? I know that I'm happiest when I've been able to get past myself and what I consider to be my needs and just be obedient in the mission that God has for me. At home with Heather, I call it doing the thing. Well, we're doing the thing. I'm not just spinning my wheels or playing pastor, but I'm, I'm doing the thing that God put me here to do, doing the thing. And I love it when I see this church doing the thing, right? I love it that at two events in the community this week, we had our people handing out scripture and showing up to show the love of Jesus to folks in the neighborhood. Well done, you. Well done. Keep the main thing the main thing. That's the stuff. That's the food. That's the best food. And amazingly, people will often respond favorably. That's lesson number two of farmer school. Here's lesson number two. See the ripe fields, right? Eat the best food and see the ripe fields. I get this from verse 35. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. There's our sermon title. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Now a farmer always knows that he or she has to be good at waiting. I think that'd be one of the hardest parts of farming, right? You put the seed in and then you got this saying that all the farmers say to each other, okay, four more months, right? You're watching over it. You're seeing the rain come, the rain not coming, too much rain, too many pests or whatever, and you're just, four months, okay, four months, four months. So the farmer has to see the ripe fields in his mind. He's got to wait. Those ripe fields are still in the future. But Jesus says that because he is now here, these fields are ripe. Even now, he says. Did you hear that? Verse 36, even now, even now, something big has happened, it's Jesus, so that the disciples needed to see that the harvest had begun. So he says, see the ripe fields? Do you see them? Or literally, the Greek there is white fields. A field of grain is ready to be harvested when the heads are white. Now think about this. What do Jesus and his disciples actually see with their physical eyes right now? What's in their field of vision? Remember verse 30? Those townspeople making their way back to Jesus? Verse 30 told us they were doing that. Many commentators through the years have wondered if the townspeople are wearing traditional Samaritan white robes. So they flow out of town and they're walking towards Jesus. Right? The field is coming, walking towards them. It's white to harvest. Now, I don't know if that's true, but it sure sounds good, doesn't it? Either way, Jesus could see the potential harvest to come, coming his way. And he wanted his disciples to see it too. Guys, guys, open your eyes. Look at the fields. With spiritual eyes, with the eyes of faith. It's not always going to seem like it. But the harvest has begun. It's here. It's coming. People are ripe to come to Christ. Now, it doesn't always seem like it. I often feel like nobody is interested in coming to Christ. Have you ever felt that way? 
especially the younger generations. But what they really aren't interested in is fake Christianity and the lies that, they've, that they have been shown and sold about what Christianity is and isn't. Many of them are hungry for the truth, and when they find out who Jesus really is, they will want him too. I've read some encouraging reports of spiritual awakening among Generation Z, the young people who are young adults right now. They see the world differently than older generations, but they're hungry for something, and many of them are going to find that Jesus is the answer to what they are seeking. We need to assume that, assume that and go out and share Jesus with them in boldness and in love and assume that he will save many and not few. We need to see the ripe fields even now. Verse 36, even now the reaper draws his wages. In other words, the job is done. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. And this is farmer school lesson number three and last. Sow, reap, and rejoice. That's the pattern. Sow, S-O-W, reap, R-E-A-P, and rejoice, R-E-J-O-I-C-E, right? And do it over again. Sow, reap, rejoice. Sow, reap, rejoice. And we might have different parts of that. One might sow, one might reap. Together we rejoice. Now, nobody reaps if nobody sows, right? You don't have to be the one who sows to reap That's the point Jesus is making in verse 38. He says that others have done the hard work of sowing and the disciples now reap the benefits of their labor. They came on late on the scene. I think he's talking about John the Baptist and the prophets in the Old Testament. They've been sowing and planting seeds about the Messiah for a long time. And now the disciples show up, Johnny come lately's, they get to reap the benefits of the other's hard work. That's okay. In fact, Jesus says it's great. If anybody here gets to come in late and lead somebody to Christ, That's wonderful. What a joy that is. The sower and the reaper are glad together, it says. Verse verse 36, glad together. But if no one ever sows, then there'll be no reaping. So there's really a call here to sow, to plant those gospel seeds. This morning on my morning walk, I listened to Dave Catanzaro's message from two weeks ago. Thank you, Dave, for sharing from God's word. He talked about that. Sowing gospel seeds, right? To consider it your food, to get out there and introduce people to Jesus. To say, come and see, could this be the Christ? Could this one be the one that you're looking for? Who might you need to talk to this week? Where might you sow seeds of the gospel? You might, you never know where you might reap them. You never know who you might talk to and find out that someone else has been talking to them and they're ready to jump in the boat. They're ready to get picked off the stock. So reap and rejoice. And what a joy it is when people finally come to know Jesus as their Savior. We mentioned Ron earlier in the service. Myra told us at prayer meeting last week that the week before she got to visit with them in their home. And when they were there, Ron prayed to receive Christ as his Savior. 
we rejoice. What a wonderful gift that is. Jesus says there are parties in heaven when one sinner repents. And there's parties here on earth too. And nobody begrudges anyone else for their part in it. Sometimes we sow, sometimes we reap, and whenever there's reaping, we all rejoice together. Especially when there are many, right? When the harvest is huge. And that's what happened in this story. Look at verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Friends, that's two miracles for you right there. First, that many of these disciples believed because of this woman's testimony. This woman's testimony. This Samaritan woman who had been loaded down with shame, she points them to Jesus, and they believe. And you know what happens next when you believe in Jesus, right? You get life in his name life. And here's the second miracle. These Samaritan townspeople asked a Jewish rabbi to stay with them for two days. The wall of hostility had been knocked down. Ethnicity and race and culture and gender wars were no longer the factors that kept them apart. Jesus had brought them together. Jesus had sown and now was reaping and everyone was rejoicing. Verse 41, and because of his words, many more became believers. Oh, we call that revival, don't we? Spiritual awakening. Would that we would have that in the U.S. of A. Would, the, would the, we would have that around the world. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And this man is that son. This man, Jesus, is the savior of the world. These folks came to believe that for themselves. Did you notice that? They say, for ourselves, in verse 42. They aren't content to let someone else believe for them. They have trusted in Jesus for themselves. Have you trusted in Jesus for yourself? Do you believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world? It's interesting they say, of the world, right? He's not just the Savior of Israel. He's not just the Savior of the Jews, but also of the half-breed Samaritans. He's also the Savior of the Gentiles. We'll see that next week, Lord willing. Gentiles, like you and me. Have you trusted Jesus yourself? Do you believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and do you know Him as your own Savior? If so, we rejoice. If not, we all invite you to do so now. Check out Jesus and find out what He did on the cross and at the empty tomb. Come to know Him as your own Savior from your own sins and for eternal life. On that day, many believed. Many more, it says. What a day of rejoicing it must have been. Let me ask you this question for us as we close. What if Jesus had not bothered? What if Jesus had not bothered to speak to this woman at the well? I mean, he was tired. He was thirsty. There was a big 
cultural gender gap between them? What if Jesus had allowed her to change the conversation and just talk about the weather and stop pursuing her? What if he just stopped sowing? He stopped planting. What if he'd just gotten a drink and something to eat and been satisfied with that? What if the farmer had never gone out to sow? What if obedience was not Jesus' food? What then? Let me ask it this way for all of us potential spiritual farmers. What is your food? Like if you were to answer that question, what is my food? What would you put next? Not what did you bring to share at the meal today? Sure smells good. But what is the most important life priority for you so that you would call it your sustenance and your satisfaction? Man, I love to eat this. That's the stuff. Next question. Can you see the fields? Do you see the potential reaping that could be done here in our area and around the world as we engage in God's redemptive mission? Can you see the fields of the people around you? Are they ripe? Because the harvest has begun. So last question, are you sowing? Because if nobody sows, nobody reaps, and so many die. But if we keep sowing, if we keep the main thing, the main thing, then we will reap and reap and reap unto eternal life. And together we will rejoice because we know that this man, Jesus, really is the Savior of the world.